to just jump into whatever. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You're in the team room with the team here at One's Ready. We were just talking before we hit record. Actually, Peaches came in about two seconds late. No big deal. We're going to let it go. Uh, but we were just talking, Trent and I, we're just talking about critical thinking and problem solving. And we were exploring a topic. And I'd like you guys to be involved in this because we think it's it's pretty good. Well, we think it's good because I'm a narcissistic douchebag and everything I think I do is good. But that's not the point. The point is we were talking about problem solving and we were talking about how it is that we actually do things that are meant for the betterment of ourselves, right? And the, I started this conversation off with Trent by saying, you know, I really hate that I've done all this work on myself to be a good person. And of course, he laughed. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, now I go into this weird spiral, right? And I think, okay, I'm having a problem or I'm angry at this person. And then I immediately, like a movie, go into my own head and go, okay, wait a second. Why are you angry? Did they actually do anything wrong? You're supposed to reflect on this and you're supposed to really unpack this problem and see what it is. And then, oh, by the way, this person is their own valid person that has their own problems in their own world that they're trying to deal with. And maybe you should cut them a little slack. And then I just spiral into that. And for all of the work that I've done, I never seem to get to an answer. I just seem to think about the problem more deeply. And it always ends in the same place. Aaron, you are an idiot. How did you handle the situation so poorly? And Peaches, that is, that is what we were talking about before. You can only come to so many conclusions. The problem is working on yourself. You learn more things. And when you learn more things, you realize that the world is not a cleaner place. The world is a dirtier place like or, or a messier place when it comes to people and emotions and how it all works. And so it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make life any cleaner. It just it, once you try to understand everybody else and all their situations and understand where they're coming from and understanding where you're coming from, which is like the, the biggest hurdle out the gate, right, is understanding yourself. But then when you, you, when you start to project that, because that's what we do, right? Once you under, actually understand yourself, because we project this like bullshit version of ourselves on people all the time. Yeah. But once you do the work and you understand like who you are and, and you start breaking stuff down and then you start to project that like empathetic, like true understanding onto other people, man, it just makes life hard because you can't just like write them off. You can't just tell them to go, you know, go away because they're stupid because, you know, we're all stupid. Exactly. And that's the, the one of my favorite words. And I can't remember. I saw it on a meme, of course, because that's how we take in information now. But there's a list of words that have meanings that you just didn't know. Sonder is my favorite one of those words. And sonder is the acute realization that everybody that you see, everybody in the world has a life as full and as rich and as troublesome and as joyous and as sad and confusing as yours. And once you realize that, it's really hard to be like mean to people. But and I used I used road rage when we were just talking about it before. Man, I do not, you know, road rage. I, I don't know what it is. Like Louis C.K. joked about road rage. Um, you know, you will just say the most vile things. Like you'll honk. I saw a guy just because somebody was driving like merged poorly. Washington State drivers are terrible, but somebody merged poorly, and some guy like this poor like seventy five year old woman, some guy in a big truck like swerves gets right up and like does the like the finger point mad thing and then like speeds off if you were in an elevator with that person and they made you mad would you be like you piece of shit like road rage for whatever reason is a thing but once you have that realization that you don't know what that person is going through that day you don't know how their mental state is like she could be driving from a funeral from one of her friends 
and you're just yelling at her on the highway. Once you realize that other people really are actual people and they're not just non-playable characters, they're not just NPCs floating around in this simulation, it's really hard to put that negativity in the world. Did you just connect with the young folks out there? Is that what just happened? Never. I just opened myself up for somebody to make fun of me for trying to, you know, use the kids slang that this should be busted for real, for real. No cap on God. Uh, so <laughs> the road rage thing is, is interesting because the, there's that aspect of it that you're talking about, but there's the, also the, the instantaneous part of getting angry is, and I've, I've heard people talk about it on other podcasts. It's the fact that, I mean, if you've been driving for a while, like you don't even think about it now, you know, whether you're doing 70 on the highway or whatever it is, you don't even think about it now, but there is still a heightened level of stress on your body. And there's an expectation of the people that are around you in the lanes or in front of you behind you that they are going to be safe, that they're going to acknowledge that you're next to them and not move into your lane or whatever it is. And, so whenever somebody does mess up that you, you go from, you know, zero or operating at a, a level of one to all of a sudden it's a seven when really the, the issue or, or the incident wasn't that big of a deal, but it could have been. And you, it deep inside your brain know that the, the, um, the outcome could have been really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's that you're, you're already operating in a heightened sense of stress. And so an incident like that will just like take you to a whole nother level. But you're right. Understanding that people, and I think because we're naturally narcissistic, you know, we care about what's going on in our world with ourselves, and we don't put ourselves in other people's lives um, that we often forget about that. And I mean, life is not black and white. It is, it is convoluted as shit. It really is. And Man, if you can just give people the benefit of the doubt and, you know, maybe for a second think like, okay, well, this person might have something going on. So let me let me just kind of give them a little bit of um, not mercy, but uh, there's a there's a grace. better word for grace. There yeah, you extend, yeah, extend them some grace. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and what a hard thing to do, you know, like people get in gunfights over traffic disputes. People get in, like people die because they get into a fender bender or they cut somebody off. And some, like, people get into no kidding fights for their life over the smallest thing. Like, I, I was driving through Denver recently and no, it was at the end of a long drive. I, you know, I was driving from Washington down to New Mexico. So I, I was tired. It was the end of the day. It was pretty busy and in Denver, it was, you know, mid afternoon, four o'clock or whatever. We're going pretty fast. It's a one of the one of the bigger highways. It had to be, you know, one of the I five or whatever, whatever north south, you know, runs through there. But somebody came over two lanes and almost hit me so bad that I had I had one out. I had to swerve, and when I did, the car got light. I don't know if you guys know what that feeling is, but when you're a high speed and you're like, oh no, I, this car is not it. like I ended up going, and luckily there was nobody in the two lanes next to me. But I had barely corrected before I hit the wall and just for a second, like off the, on the shoulder and just for a second in my head, I was like, I looked, I said it out loud. I was like, Oh no, mm-hmm. like this is, this is it. I did not, it never dawned on me 
to correct my car, then find the other car that almost killed me and then go accost them. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and I think it's because, Wait, really? you know, luckily I, I, <laughs> I, know, I know. Well, they, again, I was in their blind spot. They didn't mean to do it. They weren't trying to run me off the road. They, they just didn't know that I was there and they were in their own world. You know, you, you love to, we automatically apply malice to people. We, we apply intent to people that, that, that don't have it. You know, he wasn't trying, that person wasn't trying to kill me. Maybe they were. And I, I, yet again, I remain undefeated <laughs> in, in assassination attempts. Um, but you know, maybe they were looking at their phone. Maybe they were in the wrong, but immediately that's what we go to. And, and I think that's what we're talking about is you, as you get a little bit better at working on yourself and giving yourself distance from that immediate impulsive reaction to be mad or apply a tent, then you really start going, Oh, okay, well, how, how should I think through this one? And while granted it makes you a better person, um, it is tough. It's tough to get there because you really end up with more questions than you do answers. Yeah. So at what point do you do a spot correction then? In terms of oh, like, yeah. to to give you an example, like yesterday, I took took my son to the park, and as we're walking out in the in the um, you know crossing the street in the parking lot, some lady almost hits us. She's cruising, going slow, like she's creeping, right? But but she's not looking because I can see her. She's got her phone right here, and she's cruising through a parking lot filled with kids. And it's like, okay, what is the point of whether it's Rose Rage or hey, you need to <laughs> you need to pull your head out of your ass. And and right. at least oh, yeah. you know, if it's one thing, you, if you want to do that on the highway, like I, I still don't agree with it, but you know, I've I've been guilty of it, right? I've been guilty of checking my phone or sending a quick text or something mm -hmm. like that. Oh yeah. But yeah. But the one thing that I haven't done is in a parking lot filled with kids in a playground. And I and I'm talking about there's probably seventy five kids here. And hanging out on my phone. So, like, I didn't say anything, but I, I, no kidding, I thought about that. I was like, is this one of those points or times that I, I kind of do a, hey, WTF? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But well, I, I, you know, I think I you, know. Uh, you, you found it. Like, if, if you're on the highway and you said, like, oh, I, I've checked my phone before, and you've justified that action while you're driving, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we all want to do. We justify our own actions, but we won't justify other people's actions. But also, like, learning has to occur because you can justify it over and over again. Then it turns into a habit. And like this lady who's like, oh, like, she probably doesn't think that she has a problem checking her phone while she's driving. And she probably, you know, she's not trying to run over kids, hopefully. No. I know. It's, it's, I mean, it's Vegas. So whatever. But, well, yeah. um, but it leads to bad habits, right? Like, the more we justify our own actions instead of taking accountability for it, that's what leads to habits. And that's what happens with other people. So, um, and then you, you confront them on it they've justified that action so many times and then they don't view themselves as doing anything wrong because they've justified it a million times and now it's habitual. So like, they're not like no one keeps a tally in their head of like all the things that I've done wrong. And maybe I have a problem, you know, uh, you know, quitting is for quitters or whatever. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't got a problem. It's very profound. Yeah. 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 Uh... But you know, you know what I mean? Like justify an action enough times it becomes a habit and you don't think that it's a you problem. It's an everybody else problem. And that's, it's a vicious cycle amongst our society. Yeah, for sure. You're, you're not joking there. So I, I think if we're talking about when do you make that spot correction and when do you, when do you, 
hop out of that, uh, you know, kind of that circle of like, oh, is it right? Is it wrong? I think it's when other people are affected and, and you can imply intent. Like even it, it might not be malicious intent, but if somebody is either not paying attention, like, the, you know, your, you know, my car example or your, your, you know, park example, when other people can be negatively affected, that's 100% when it is. I, t- I tell this, you know, or I give this analogy all the time. I am at a point in my life where if you walk up to me and you are aggressive towards me and me alone, I, I very rarely do I care. You, you could punch me in the face. And the first thing I'm going to do is probably go, hey, dude, why? What, 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 is, what is your deal? Like, if you're not trying to, like, kill me, if you're not approaching me with a weapon or something, and you just get super aggressive towards me, I don't respond to that at all. I, I don't care. Like, I fight four times a week as it is. You know, grown men try to choke me unconscious a whole bunch of times. Like I've been in a fight before. Right. So for me, I'm like, okay, well, what's the deal? What is, what is your issue? What, what, what's the problem? The second that anybody else is with me, right. If T is with me, if people in my area are being accosted, if you do that to one of my friends, and by the way, it could be a friend that's perfectly fine on his own. It could be a big, strong special operator. And if you accost him I, I, immediately, and I go from zero, zero to 10 and I'm going to steal this and put it out there, but the continuum of violence um, is zero to 10, right? And, and earlier in my life, I used to think that you just use the bare minimum amount of violence, right? So if, if somebody is uh, in a situation and they're at a three, it used, I used to be like, okay, well, I could fix this with a five. Somebody, I'll find the reel and I'll post it. Somebody described it. Um, zero to 10 is risk. You're accepting risk at every single one of those. If I go to a five and my opponent goes to a seven, I'm dead. That's so now the continuum, uh huh. The continuum, the continuum of violence is it's binary for me now. It's either I'm going to be violent or I'm not, and there's no in between. Like you have to go to unchecked violence and finish whatever that fight is, whatever that looks like, immediately, and you have to do it before your opponent does it. So. I think that's where the spot correction happens, you know, violence aside. And this could be, this could be in any, really in any circumstance. It doesn't have to be violent. It could be adversarial. It could be, you know, cart narcs. You know, what do you, uh, when, when do you, uh, when do you accost somebody for not putting their cart away? Well, the second they get in their car and they, and they look like they're not putting that cart away, maybe it's, maybe it's time to engage there. And I think that's where, I think that's where the line is for me is when other people are involved or when I can, no kidding, see some sort of intent by that person. And that intent is not within the social construct that we have. And Peach is great job explaining, you know, the, the traffic scenario, but there's, there's an unwritten social contract that everybody agrees to on the road. I know I could die. So I'm going to pay attention. I know I could kill other people. I'm going to follow the traffic laws and I'm not going to swerve out of my lane. And there's, there's a certain culture that we interact in a car. And if you want to, you want to see how it's different, go drive somewhere else. I can tell you driving in driving in Kenya is remarkably different than driving in Washington state or driving in Europe is remarkably different than driving other places. Yeah, for sure. I'd say, I'd say German drivers are by far some of the best. They are awesome. Well, it's, I mean, man, the Germans are great at infrastructure, you know? Yeah. Very orderly. That, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like they are, uh, they, now, you want to talk about a, a culture that is very black and white, of course. They are mm-hmm. like, um, they are that way. They are 
strict rule followers, stuff like that. I, we're going to go into something completely different if I continue down that. But, <laughs> um, and I don't mean in a bad way. I'm just mean like, yeah. we're going to get off topic. Yeah. Um, escalation of force though. I was going to say, yeah, we're yeah, not I think, on the topic. I think we, I think we saw that by starting this with no topic at all. Yeah. Escalation of force though is that, like, I, I think I, you and I heard the same exact thing. Um, of something so. who described it very, very well is just because, you know, you, that person could escalate before you're able to then escalate. So mm-hmm. that's why it's, it's almost, it's a, Hey, I'm either at a one or I'm at a 10. There's no mm-hmm. in between. It's, it's a, it's a light switch, you know? Yep. And if you are talking about um, life or death of yourself or somebody else, it, it almost has to be that way. Yeah. Like, and it always is deployed. And that's, that's why a lot of people found it problematic when the whole escalation of force, um, became a real thing in the rules of engagement downrange because, um, you know, there, there was a time frame that we had our hands tied, uh, at least in terms of, you know, right. troops and contacts, um, dropping close air support and stuff like that because we, you know, we were still trying to win hearts and minds of, of whatever country we happen to be in, like at that time was Afghanistan and Iraq. We're still trying to win hearts and minds. We're not, we're not going in. And I agree. We're not, we're not trying to go in there and destroy bridges, destroy infrastructure, uh, kill innocent people. That is not a thing, right? But when you're in a fight, you're in a troops and contact, you know, asking people like, okay, well, can you break away or should you mm-hmm. break away or, you know, uh, walking down those kind of, um, I'm, I'm miss man, I, this caffeine, this trench coffee needs to kick in real fast, but, Fantastic. The, but like the going through your checklist of things that like, okay, per the, R- the ROEs, I need to do this. I need to do this. Okay. Now I can't do this. Now I can do close air support. Right. Like that was a bad, well, the, the problem with that. Yeah, the problem with that is that number one, if you have to, if you have to process that information, you take it away from muscle, me- like shooting and, and killing some uh, threat that is in front of you is muscle memory. That's a, that's putting your sights on target, taking the slack out press. That's what that is, right? When you have to start thinking about, okay, um, and by the way, the enemy uses this against us all the time. They know mm-hmm. our ROE, and then they exploit that ROE. In uh, in Bastion, when we were in uh, in the Helmen province in two thousand, had to be two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen. There was the most ridiculous stuff, especially on the southern wall. There was a, a big desert, right? So, like southern Afghanistan is not mountainous at all. It's it's a huge open you know desert. Dunes. Like it's it's a little bit hilly, but it's nothing like northern Afghanistan. It's nothing like Bath um, in the mountains in the Hindu Kush. So, no kidding. The escalation of force for the people protecting the base, which was Marines mostly, people would ride on on scooters and they would or, you know, motorbikes, little whatever. And they would be driving around and they'd be looking for areas that they could attack the base. Bastion got overrun, I want to say, a year before we got there. Uh, Most notably, the Alaska PJs responded to that one. But they, you know, people breached the fence. They killed a couple Harriers. Uh, it was it was bad. Uh, they were dressed in American uniforms. One of them was actually dressed. Uh, they found him like a doctor, dressed like a doctor. So their intent was to gain access to these to these parts on base and kill people. Right. Even after that, the escalation of force went. You were supposed to yell at these people to go away. Then as they were driving towards you, you had to yell at them again. 
And then they had pen flares, like signaling devices. And you were supposed to shoot a flare in the vicinity of the person driving at a high rate of speed before you could shoot, before you could do any of this stuff. That's ridiculous. Once they figured out that, that they were not, like, once people figured out they weren't just getting shot from 500 yards away with a, with a you know, crew serve weapon, the the probing attacks happened a lot and you would see dudes like military age males with a weapon slung driving towards you in a vehicle and no kidding the marines are like okay get the pen flares out it was the most surreal thing of all time like what what are we doing what are we what are we here to do and jt talked about it on the on you know the podcast where uh where he came on but you know where what data is driving that like what are we what are we talking about why is this roe a thing why why are we allowing ourselves to do this thing that makes no sense and puts people at risk people really died over you know roe and escalation of force and you saw it all the time and, and it's it's funny that we started talking really about like ethical decision making and trying to unpack problems but you know you saw it in iraq too is a cell phone hostile intent it is that that guy's a spotter if there's somebody that's observing us and he's on a phone, should I be able to shoot them? I would argue uh, probably yes. But that is an ethical dilemma that has been examined by JAGs and written into ROE for forever. Like, is that hostile intent? What happens when, you know, the world kicks off around you and you're getting bracketed by borders because the guy is observing you and passing that information on? Yeah, sometimes it feels like um, the, the person went through driver's ed but never actually drove a car. And then they write the rules for you, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So, and then somebody like, who's not actively involved in it, like in danger involved. Well, and, and like the policy, if, if like on the driving thing, like if you're in, on a 12 man team, there's like 15, maybe 20 of you total, depending on, on the team and what you're doing. Like you're not, you're not in a school bus. You're like on a motorcycle driving down the freeway. Mm -hmm. So like the, 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 how quickly things can go wrong. Like you're already at, 80, 90% there all the time. And you don't have a lot of room for error uh, when it comes to your decision-making process. And so, you know, they, they send this, this tool in there and it's that it, the tool is for the job. The thing that it's built for is to, you know, destroy stuff. And it, it, the, the, the margin for error is very small. And uh, that's what that tool is going to do in, in those circumstances. And you ask that tool to do something different. It's like, you don't understand like how dangerous this is for us out here. Like send in the school bus then don't send us in. If you expect us right. to just yeah. sit around and make friends. And and listen, I like, I get the, the, the reason why they did, it, I think, and, and again, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to assume there's not malice intent. So I'm assuming that they are trying to do the best for the infrastructure, the people of whatever country that we happen to be in. Right. Like I, I, I believe there's probably good intent there, but at the same time, like we, You've also got to trust us. You have to trust the commanders on the ground. You have to trust the people that are on the ground in the moment. So, you know, I, I should use proportional force um, in the way that, like, okay, so uh, if I have a B1 overhead, right, and I have tons of 2,000-pound bombs on there that just wreak havoc, or I have a 250-pound bomb option, and it's a couple of people or it's like I'm using proportionality based off of what the target is. I don't just come in using a B1 carpet bomb and using 2,000 pound bomber, 
uh, 2000 pound bombs to get out of a tick. Like I'm probably, maybe I use, maybe I, I have used them. I have used four 2000 pound bombs to get out of a tick because that was correct for that situation. So you have to trust the folks that are on the ground or in that situation to, to then make the right call. Does that mean that a hundred percent of the people that are in that position are going to make the right call? Absolutely not. Right. But you also have to trust them and give them benefit of the doubt and appropriate training. So that goes back to, um, instead of defunding police, right, we should be giving them increased funding so that they can be better trained to, we can then send them to schools like uh, uh, Darcy comes into mind, right? The direct mm-hmm. action resource center. There, there, there are tons of them, you know, field craft survival, Mike Glover's place. Like there are tons of places to send people um, to get them better training so that they Basic are able combatives. to. Right. Like, like, holy cow. Like if, if policemen were required to be at like a blue belt jujitsu level, do you know how many, that would actually be safer for the people that are apprehending. It would be way safer because yeah. if, you, if you, there's a bunch of videos out there, you can see, you know, jujitsu or, or grapplers, you know, controlling very violent people in a manner that doesn't hurt them or anybody else. Like, cause you get to a point where you're just like, I can impose my will on you in such a way. Untrained people like you can be strong. You can be on whatever drugs it is you want. You can be off PCP or meth or whatever else. I, it, it is actually safer for you to go up against a trained individual. And I use this analogy quite, quite frequently too. I have never been hurt by a black belt in training. The only people that hurt me are white belts because they just, you, you just don't know what you're stop. doing. Yeah. They don't no. know when to stop. They don't know what effective control feels like. No, well, that's the continuum of violence thing, though, right? Because you were talking about feeling threatened and what it takes for you to feel actually threatened. And once you cross that line, you're going to go, you go straight to 10, right? If you're a less capable person, and I mean, like, less trained, I'm not trying to, like, attack individuals that haven't been trained. But if you haven't been trained, that that line, that fear line of the of threat is so much lower. So you go straight to you go straight to 10 and with, you know, terrible consequences. Well, that's yeah. why force on force training is so important, right? Using simunition that teaches so much because not only like whether it's in the house or whether it's out in the, in kind of a mock, mock village city, like, okay, one, it teaches you math because it teaches you angles, right? Like angles are very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it also teaches aggression. Like you've, you've seen it in whether it's police videos or, or military videos, or, or even just, you know, gang shootouts that once people start getting shot at, like if they get hit, like it's like a, oh my God, you know, and, and they're yeah. just, you know, where in reality, of, of course, sometimes that you can't stand because you get blasted in the knee or something like that. Sure. But like force on force, simunition training helps you like ready and, and engage a target and knowing that you're getting shot at, or even if you mm-hmm. are getting shot to still try and neutralize um, yep. and engage with that enemy. And, and it's such an important um, training event. It, I mean, it's yeah. huge and it hurts, but that's yeah. supposed to. Yeah. And how many stories, like how we all have friends that have been shot mm-hmm. and have and like had to fight through it. We have friends that, you know, Hey man, like they didn't just stop fighting. That's what that, that's what that training um, breeds. I think it's in leadership and training for the fight. Master Sergeant Paul Howe, retired uh, GSO operator. I think uh, that's where it came from, but he had a rule that good guys never die in training. 
So it doesn't matter in training. You get to, if you're on, you know, the opposing force, like you just yes. continue, like there's an, there's an opposing yeah. force and there's a team because psychologically what that does is that helps you push through those events so that no kidding, you get used to, okay, something hurt. I got hit with a sim round, but I still have to clear my corner yeah. or the rest of the team's going to die. Okay. Yeah. That that's where you breed those habits. And I think that is the difference. And it is funny. Watch. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's, it's not, not funny, funny, but it's not funny, <laughs> but like watching these Instagram videos especially of like violent assaults and watching people just, I watched a video, terrible, terribly graphic video, but um, there was a dispute between two dudes. He sat down and uh, stabbed this guy that he was in a dispute with sitting down next to him. The guy took like three stabs and was just shocked was yeah. like, and he ended up dying, but he took like three stabs and he just kind of like looked at the guy and then he started kind of like, putting hands on him and pushing him away. That's, that's terrifying. Like yeah. imagine, imagine one, a lot like manage your distance. You allow that person that is an adversary to get so close to you. And then two, you're on a fight for your life, dude, you got to turn it on. Um, and he, he unfortunately paid for that, but um, you know, training that training is really, really important. Yep. Yeah. I want to say it's somebody can close 28 feet. 21. I want to say it's 28. Is it 21 feet? Yeah, 21 feet of distance. So, uh, and it was a study with policemen how fast they could get their service weapon out and uh, neutralize a threat that was running at them. 21 feet is the distance um, where, unless you were a trained, like very well trained, you were not going to clear that holster and engage no. that threat. Uh, and it sounds like you. such a long distance, too. You're like, ah, oh, 21 feet. And especially when you measure it out, you're like, oh, really? That's like four peaches. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, not even. <laughs> <laughs> No, I guess it is about four peaches. Yeah, it is about four peaches. peaches. Using peach as a unit of measure. Yeah, yeah. using peach as a favorite unit of measure. <laughs> yeah, but, but, so, but we live in a, a a world that is outcome driven, right? And I, I've listened to like Milton Friedman talk about this stuff: the the intentions versus outcome. The intentions are the the defund the police. What were what were the intentions behind that? It was you know to keep really bad things from happening. But the outcome was more bad things happened, right? So, like, judging yeah. people and policies by their intentions is not always the best thing, uh, but the outcomes. And I think that's where that the you you get to step in and, and learn someone up. You know, I'm good at English, so we we learn them up when when those Coach outcomes uh, become uh, become negative. That's that's when you have to intervene uh, because intentions in those situations when it's going to affect people, you know, their livelihood, their their you know their life. Um, when those are the outcomes, then, then you have to step in. Well, that's why funding cuts uh, hurt bad, right? But it's, I mean, it, fiscal constraints are a real thing that we that everybody has to deal with, you know, even with your own, within your own households, right? But like, that's where you got to prioritize, you know, do we, you know, if I'm going back to a, a, an STS, um, you know, do we prioritize getting all new Arteryx cold weather stuff. Uh, the answer is, of course, yes. Yes, but, of course, yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but or do I pay for um, a little bit more uh, advanced medical training, or do I pay for a little bit more force on force training, or you know, whatever that is? Like it's it's a prioritization of resources um, and training. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We just went through our uh, budget discussion. We had a very long budget discussion where we had to talk about, you know, how much are we getting for the year? How are we going to allocate it? And, uh, and newsflash everybody, we did not get more money this year. This is one of the, one of the first years we got less money. We got less money by 
some percentage points. You know, it wasn't like 20 percentage points, but it wasn't single digit percentage points either. So we had to have a very hard talk about, I know we talk about, you know, we make the joke about, okay, well, everybody gets Arc'teryx, everything all the time, because nothing touches this skin except dead bird gang. Um, but we had to have some very hard talks about, okay, well, if, if you want to outfit your brand new guys getting onto the troops in, you know, $30,000 worth of watches and wetsuits and all these other things, okay, but you can't go off station in the fourth quarter. You're, you're done. You have to, you have to find on station training. And everybody was like, whoa. And we were like, yeah, whoa is right. Number one, we're going to be in a fiscally constrained environment. And then number two, we had to have a hard talk about what are we training for? Uh, I force everybody in my organization to give me their problem statement. So if you come to me and you're like, I want to go to Shaw shooting and I go, okay, why? It really screws people up because I, I want to hear like, what metal are we supporting? What deployed task are you making better? Like, are you doing this to accept less risk? Are you doing this to become better at your primary duty? Are you doing this to become better at your additional duties? Like, t- tell me how this does stuff. And for a while, that, that would really stump people. They'd be like, well, I mean, we're deploying. So I want to go to CQC. I want to go shooting. I want to go to a driving school. I'm like, why are you going to drive on this? You have embassy drivers that drive you around or you're not driving. You're, you're going to be driven around. You're going to attach to somebody and go drive. So why, why are we going to a driving school? And they'd be like, uh, well, cause we always go to driving schools. Like, man, that, that might've worked 10 years ago. That doesn't work now, homie. Like, dude, you I don't, know, you're going- I don't think you've realized like we could go into a whole nother podcast with this, which would be an ex- excellent episode for uh, like Greg Smith. But we start talking about yeah. policy to action, you know, uh-huh. taking, taking all these high level policies. And th- this is what's good. And we should do, we should do an episode on policy to action. It could be boring, but I tell you what, it'd be great mm. mentorship and education for uh, some of the yeah. folks going in to understand like, hey, when you're asking for that problem statement or you're asking, hey, why do you need to go to a driving school or how do you prioritize shawl shooting over, um, you know, doing a, a level and, one yeah. jump yeah. trip like, you know, for, yeah, right. And and why the why uh, of of how you're doing it um, mm-hmm. real quick, though, um, and I. I'll throw it out to either one of you guys, but can uh, one of you guys explain what medals are or mission essential task list? Or I can do it. I don't care. I, I'm happy to. Trent, do you want to? I don't care. No, not really. Okay, got it. <laughs> so mission essential task list. So a medal is something that you're training for. We talked about, uh, we're going to drop a real soon. I've talked about the AFSO 4 gen. So for us, that's the special operations force generation cycle. The Air Force is going to the same model. It's the AF. Four gen Air Force, fourth generation cycle. In that 20 month cycle, you are given a task at the beginning of 20 months. Okay. Technically, you're given a little bit beforehand because you need to plan for the entire cycle. So, usually when you're deployed, that's the committed phase, you know, per the GIF map, where you're going to deploy. Um, So, global force management assignment process GIF map. Maybe. So, yeah, I can confirm. Okay. Anyway. It's yeah, it's a, uh, it's a long. So hey, what do you know? We speak in acronyms, and then most of the time we don't even truly know what they are. You're just guessing. Yeah, there's nothing I love better than a good TLA three letter acronym. <laughs> anyway, so in that in that <laughs> training phase, um, or in that force generation cycle, you're given medals. Think of it like a menu. We know where we're going, and we know what we're going to do. Right. So we always do access, strike, and recovery. That's what AFSOC does. ST does access 
global access, precision strike, and personnel recovery, right? And as a fourth battlefield surgery with SOSTI. What we do is we know where we're going, we know what team is gonna go where, and we know what mission they're gonna, they're gonna do. So say you were going to Africa and you were going to do global access. You know 20 months ahead of time what it is that you're gonna do. That is a mission essential task. And you have a list of those mission essential tasks. And it sounds like be prepared to, and it'll say conduct these things. And it's in an order, an operations order, where it lists out, no kidding, everything that you're expected to do as a team during that committed phase that's going to happen in the future. And everything in that training cycle is supposed to directly support those medals. So we always do access, strike, and recovery, but then we hone it down. And maybe you're going to an area in the Middle East, and you are going to do precision strike and precision strike alone. Well, that is how you plan your entire 20 months for your team of operators is that you say, this is the task list that I have. Now, in theory, every single thing you do in that 20 months should be directly focused at one of those medals. So when I ask you, why are you going to a shooting school? You should be able to point to a task and say, it says I have to be prepared to conduct raids and ground-based operations in support of the task force. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah, it totally makes sense. You got to go to a shooting school or maybe you're going to Africa and you're doing air to ground integration and you're training a partner force. Like we teach partner forces, all types of stuff, how to shoot, how to move, how to communicate medicine. Maybe you want to go to Shaw shooting because you want to focus on the instructional aspect of shooting and you want to become a better shooter, but you want to become such a better shooter that now you can instruct. And that's why you're telling me like, it says I have to teach the partner forces how to shoot. Well, I need to I need to go to this school that teaches me how to be an instructor, and then I need to go to a shooting school so that I can be the example for the students. That's right. that's how it's supposed to work. And it doesn't mean that you just focus on that entirely. That is the focus, but like there's also upgrades. Like when we start sure. talking about three levels, five levels, seven levels within special tactics, uh, whatever the career fields are, like that is inherent. You have to be able to train to upgrade people. And sometimes there are events that, that you've got to do that don't necessarily align with the, the metals, but you still need to do it in order to get people upgraded. Right. And that's where we, the, the first two phases really of the 20 month cycle is the individual training phase and the unit training phase. Those two phases are meant to focus on those upgrades specifically. So you know, does Trent need to be at this Air Force, you know, professional military educational course to do a deployed task? No, yes. but it's part oh, of his. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No, but it's part of his upgrade. So we would put that in the individual phase, that very first phase. We, we try to get you to your jump master schools, your upgrade schools, your PMEs, those one off courses that you have to take. That is the time that you focus on that. And then the unit training phase is more team focused. So that's where you're getting together as a team and you're doing your team leader upgrades. You're doing your team commander upgrades. You're doing all of those other things that are more team focused and making you a better team, but are also moving towards that committed task. Yep. Man, I'm so glad you answered that. My answer would have been like sarcastic and short. I'm like, it's called mis mission essential task. Like, what do you think it is? It's there's a mission, there's tasks. See what you got to do. You know, like, you why am I explaining this you to train you? Form. Do you speak <laughs> English, folks? Like, yeah. Aaron, thank, what did thank you goodness say Aaron GIFMAP is here. Was? What's that? Let's say, what did you say? Global GIFMAP force was? management assignment process. Allocation plan. 
allocation plan. Oh. Allocation plan. Nice. Yeah. Good Good job. Way to call that one down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. I typically have a computer brain for a lot of these, but there are still acronyms that I use to this day that I have yeah. no clue what it means. No clue. Hey, There's I, one. I don't, I don't know if it's protected or not. There's... I, we will we will talk about it. I don't know if I can say there's one acronym that is it's a total um, reindeer game, right? Because we all say it when we get off here. I'll, I'll I'll say it to you, and maybe we'll maybe we'll readdress. We all say it. We all know exactly what it is. You cannot tell me what it means though, and it's in all caps, and it's it is spelled out like an acronym should be spelled out. However, it's it is 100. You're like, wait a second, what does that mean? And it's it's. One of these things is like a, you know, hip pocket training. Every once in a while, your team leader's like, hey, man, tell me what the TOPs are. And you have to be like, oh, crap. Uh, receive the mission, issue the warno, <laughs> make a tentative plan, initiate necessary movement, make crowns, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's one of those that somebody asked me, and I was like, oh, I mean, what Wait, does that mean? I've never seen it spelled know. out. Yeah and, then, yeah. and then I was like playing stump the chump. And we were deployed, by the way. So I had literally every system that I needed, every high side system. There's a million people I could call and speak in plain language. And I never figured it out. Um, Nate Cox that we had on the podcast is the one that leveled that charge at me. This is 2009. Still haven't figured it out. Never gotten a good answer. And I've asked the subject matter experts. So it's a good one. We'll, we'll talk about it moving on. Um, oh, yeah. do you have something? No, I don't. I, I wanted to go to a, a, take a step back like 20 minutes. Um, yeah. What do you, when we started talking about carton arcs and putting carts away and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What do you think the psychology is in that? Like in terms of somebody who feels that it's necessary to put their carts away or versus somebody who feels that they're completely justified in leaving their cart right where it is because, well, they have people for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, I know. I know exactly I, what you're saying. I, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm totally taking us into a direction that all three of us have no idea what the psychology is on it. I just, it's weird to me. Cause I, I, I do think about that when I see people do it or, you know, as I'm taking my cart back, I can sit here and I go, what kind of person, like, what is it? Is it, um, is it the way I was raised? Is it yeah, yeah. what I've learned in is the military? Laziness? Is it entitlement? Is it yeah. you know, whatever? Yeah. Well, I always laugh at this because my first job, my very first job, I worked at a grocery store and I was a cart oh. dude. I packed groceries and I, I was a cart guy. Like that was what, that was what I did. Um, so for me, I always just laugh because I'm like, I have chased down carts that people didn't bother putting away in freezing weather in Northeast Ohio. Imagine being from Ohio, first of all, but yeah. freezing, <laughs> freezing cold weather. <laughs> it's okay. Ohio is not real. Um, <laughs> And also, birds are not real. They're part of the bourgeoisie. Look it up, nerds. <laughs> birds are 100% part, part of the bourgeoisie. But, you know, it's, but that speaks to, okay, well, what in, what in this other person's life did they not do? Did they not have this experience where they can just leave their card out and leave it for somebody else? And, you know, the, maybe it's entitlement. Maybe it's they do have people for that. I, I could see if I was going to try to argue this, which I would never do. Cart narcs, please don't put me on any of your watch lists. I, I always put my cart away. But I could, I could argue from a point of, well, I put my stuff in my car. I'm ready to leave. They pay people to police these carts up. I, I don't need to put this back. I don't need to put this back all the way for them. I don't need to do their job. They can just collect the carts. 
okay, that's not the type of person that I am. I couldn't do that because I feel, again, there's a, there's a social contract that we have with people in the service industry. It's like tipping. I will not tip less than 20. I constantly get told I, I tip too much because even if I get mediocre service, I'm tipping 20%. Like that's it. Like that's if you're a serv- basically it, that's it. I, I never go below. Now, when we start talking about like, man, um, you know, you okay. don't tip sub, you don't tip subway workers that work at like, but they made your sandwich. Why don't we tip them? You know what I mean? That, that's what I was going to say. The automatic tip thing now, where the, it's like yeah. just, just for a, a, a transaction. Hey, do right. you want to tip? So yeah, you didn't do thing? anything. Yeah, you, you're working a register. Like I, I would tip the people that, you know, are making the thing that I'm getting. Um, however, but that's part of the, that's part of the social contract that I think is important. Like you, you served me, you provided me a service for me. The baseline is 20%. I'm going to tip you 20% on whatever bill it is because you took the time out of your day to provide me a service. Um, I think cart the the cart thing is, is sort of in the same vein. I get it that there's people that get paid to do this. However, there's not an, I don't need to be a dick about it. I can put my cart back. Well, I think it just depends on how you view other people. Do the people that don't put their carts back that are like habitual, like they have people that are paid to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, like, are, are they, do they view the people that put the carts back as like actual people? Do they empathize with them? You know, like when I, I, the way I visualize people is we all have like arrows that are going away from us and arrows towards us, right? Like I'll bet you if you did a, a, a poll of all the people that don't put their carts back and you had conversations with them, the number of times that they said I in a sentence or in a conversation far exceeds the number of times the other people that put the carts back would say I in a conversation. Um, and, and that, and that's what I think it is. They think they're the center of their own universe. Like someone's, someone's getting paid to do this. Like I'm expected to do my job. I'm expected, blah, blah, blah. It's a very self-centered attitude. Um, versus the, the, the being able to see beyond themselves, second and third order effects, the, the, the greater, uh, construct of our society and how everything interacts with the, uh, with everything else. So that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, I, I was just curious about it, what you guys thought, just because there, there is definitely a psychology that, that is associated with it. And I, I agree with you, Aaron, like, Hey, there are people that are getting paid for this to do mm-hmm. this. Um, are they just like every other industry though, where there's labor shortages? Um, I don't care what the job numbers are like, you know, like there are people like, cause I, especially here in Vegas that we go into places and they are like they were walk-in interviews. We we were just in a Dude, place. Donna and I were what? just in a place the other day, and they were like, "Walk-in interviews, please, please apply." If you even what think about getting a happened? job, and it's like, "Wow, what happened over the last two years?" And you know, I'll, I'll use you know voting as, as one. There's still states right go. now that are counting votes. Like this never was a thing. This was not a thing before 2020. Like election day is election day. When in the world did we turn it into election week where you have all these votes? Well, like, oh, well, it's it's mail-in balloting and it takes a while to count it. No, Florida had the results in a night. We're the most advanced technological society in the world. Brazil had a massive election. We knew the results in one day. I don't know what it is. But to the jobs thing, people gaslight me all the time and tell us how good the jobs numbers are. 
There, I have never seen more stores that shut down early. Some just don't open. There are stores. I was getting a haircut. <coughs> Excuse me. I was getting a haircut. And as always, you're just BSing with the person cutting your hair. And they were like, oh, yeah, the, the Lakewood location had to shut down. And I was like, oh, why, why did the lake? That place is Lakewood is right next to JBLM. It's a haircut place right next to a huge joint base. How did it ever shut down? And they were like, yeah, there just weren't, there weren't enough people to, to work. They would uh, straight yeah. just close on Saturdays. They didn't have enough business. They would just close. And you know when Joe needs a haircut. What You know Joe needs a haircut. When did that happen? When did we get to a point? I, I walk in to places and now like the, the same refrain. It was a joke during COVID, but it was like, please be nice to us. We're working, you know, super short staffed and whatever else. I was flying through Dallas airport. I got delayed. I ended up getting canceled that night. I'm sitting at the at the bar, at, uh, you know, watching some random show, hoping that my flight ends up happening. And uh, it's like six o'clock at night. And the bartender's like, hey, sorry, it's last call. And I was like, what do you mean last call? It's six o'clock. There are flights that leave out of here at midnight. I was like, OK, well, where's open? And they're like, she was like, nowhere. There's nowhere yep. that's open. We just uh, there's not enough staff to keep the, the things running. Yep. What what happened? Where did all these people go? How do you, how are people making money? And why can you not just walk in and interview and get a job wherever you want? Because that's what I perceive. That's what I see in the environment. I mean, that's that's happening. And I did Trent. I want I wanted to ask you something because you brought something up earlier, and I like this is why I write things down because I forget. Because you're the only smart one. Now, Trent writes stuff down, too, which is really good. But you said great. something I'll have the dumb one. Perfect. No, we, I just can't that remember checks. stuff. I just can't <laughs> Yeah, that's. it's not about being smart. I just can't remember. I've been hit um, up here a few times. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if, if I can't remember it, then we may as well. Uh, did you want I mean, to talk about Milton not Friedman? Having a short, a later. Did I bring up Milton Friedman? Yes, you did. <laughs> did you? Never mind. Yeah. Maybe that's not what I said. <laughs> I don't know. It could have been. It was. It was based off of what Aaron's talking about, though. Um, but you know who's not having a labor shortage? Hoist. Hoist isn't having a labor shortage. I uh, love it. What a They've got um, awesome flavors: orange, peach, mangoes, the bomb. Uh, that punch. raspberries, um, the bomb. Wow. That's, <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Hoist wasn't around in the 1990s, but Peach's lexicon was <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Are we gonna oh, like boy. do a commercial where we all say what's up to each other with hoist or is that what's what's up? Up? <laughs> This is turning oh into the God. worst episode How of, old of the we? office I've ever seen. Go to hey, drinkhoist.com. Yeah. Use the code once ready. Get yourself some of the packets. The packets are my favorite. You can get the prebix. If you go to the prebix to the bottle, the new blue raspberry, fantastic. It's the best uh, it's the best flavor out there. So drinkhoist.com. Yeah, and then Delicious. if you know you're already hydrated, and go go hit Eberly Stock to get you some nice modular Ele, you know, Elio or military or hunting pags. Um, those guys are killing it. EberlyStock.com, promo code OR10. That is OR10, and uh, and get yourself some good stuff. You're you're supporting a great company, great friends of ours, and um, I mean they. I think every single, well, not every single one of them, I'm sure, but like there's quite a few of them that have, have also served their country. So yeah. they serve their country and now they're serving you with uh, phenomenal yep. products. So make sure you check them out. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So I was going to say that the people that also leave their carts behind are the ones that when uh, they find out that uh, police officers or military people yeah, got killed, they're like, well, they signed up for that job. It's part of the job. Jesus, what a hot take. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, that does happen. And uh, man, th- there's part of it. Like we've, we said it like, and, and it's funny, like the same message can come out. Uh, but depending on where it comes from, we either hate it or we don't. How many times have you heard that at work and just been like, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess that is it. Like, Hey, you know, sorry, we do dangerous stuff, everybody, but that's, that's kind of what the job is for us to say that to each other. Totally fine. Some blue haired Seattle resident says it to me on the street and we got to have a talk, my guy or they, them, whatever your pronouns are, uh, because that's, that's not appropriate. <laughs> hey, Peaches, just just flag that so you can put it out. Uh, uh, I need to make sure. I... <laughs> I don't. I think that's fine. I, I think, think that's those are fine. accepted pronouns with the day. What, what I was gonna say is, you know that episode that we can't air, but I been but I I put a bunch of reels out. I got asked like, hey, when's this one going to re- release? And I was like, hey, never, uh, never, we can't. <laughs> nope, we will not Absolutely release that one because yeah. we canceled all three forty of us minutes woke of content. Up yeah by yeah <laughs> well yeah. we we canceled 40 minutes of content to make sure that we didn't cancel the rest of our lives or channel so yeah. <laughs> we we all three of us woke up either grumpy or whatever it was because we we came in hot hard in the paint mm. so here's my question then can those people let's say you have somebody that doesn't put their card away they don't tip they don't value other people they have these things can they train themselves to be better? And if so, how? What do they do? Yeah, most people grow out of being teenagers and they become adults. I think that's... Uh, yep. So I'd say most people yeah. go through those phases fairly naturally. It's just odd when you see like a 52-year-old person that's still in that zone where they're, they're, they're such the victim. Like, it's all about them. They don't understand why they should like help with anybody else. You know, like... You were just in the grocery store. If you pick something up from like one aisle and you take it four aisles over and you decide you don't want it anymore, what do you do? Do you just drop you it on the ground? Because they have people. It. They have people, though, that stock the shelves. It's their job to put stuff on shelves. Why don't you just drop it on the ground right there? Because the, they got people that work there that are supposed to clean stuff up. You know, we got we got uh, people yeah. to go fight wars for us if they die. Who cares? We got people <laughs> to do these things. <laughs> I, I, and I, I do think that there's levels to that too, right? There's the people that, hey, they have a, I don't know, box of cereal and they, and they leave it someplace that it wasn't, it didn't originate from there. Or they drop some ice cream or some meat, something that needs to be refrigerated and they just leave yeah. it there. It's like, yeah. okay, now that was like, that was extra dickish that you just did that. Like it's one thing <laughs> that you just left the box of cereal, but like now that ice cream or that meat, is now ruined. Like, I mean, there's, there's no going back from it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's not to judge every single person that does. It. Obviously there is somebody who, you know, has got a ton of kids that they're, you know, dragging around the freaking, um, the store, you know, it's like, okay, well I got to walk all the way back to whatever. Okay, fine. Maybe just give it to an employee then. Like if you're, if you're that, yeah. like, like if you're hey, that listen. pressed for time, like, what are we doing? That's like, yeah. uh, <laughs> Man, I, yeah, go Trent. 
the further they have to go to get carts, the more people that they have to hire to fetch carts because it costs money to buy carts. The more people that they have to pay to clean up your store and to stock the shelves, the more people that they have to pay to do everything. Who do you think pays for that? Do you think the grocery store just takes a huge loss just because the people no. in that community are a bunch of a-holes? Or Absolutely. do they pass on to that cost to the customers? Mm-hmm. And so like mm-hmm. being able to think, you know, second, third order effects, how everything affects everything else. It only makes everybody's life a better, easier, less expensive. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I'm glad that we learned the word inflation during this last election cycle. I was, I was told that we never knew what inflation was before then by the world's dumbest. I heard about Joy that. Reed. Yeah. She's, she's honestly in the pantheon of stupid. She is remarkably stupid, almost to the point of like, are you really that incompetent? Are you purposely gaslighting people for views on the internet? And I think it's probably the latter and not the former. She's historically dumb. And there you go. Well, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm glad I, I will say, uh, as we close this up, I'm, I'm glad that I could accompany Trent to senior NCO Academy. Uh, I yeah, do little piece acknowledge there, that I see him. I see, I see myself in every, <laughs> every single every, video. Hey, little buddy. Not that, Stop not that being so was... dickish. <laughs> did, did we get that little peaches together or did you have that when I got down to Texas? No, I, it's I when think you were visiting. There, like, I had it overnighted. I just found it on right. Amazon and it showed up the next day. <laughs> so that we could podcast super creepy. it. It's fantastic. Like, it I is super creepy. Just face out. Because he could tear his face like, out. And then there's another face behind it. <laughs> You know he what? Just, I don't know what you wow. got going on here, but it's it's weird. <laughs> you know, we started off talking about ethical, uh, you know, ethical decision making, and we started off talking about some things. And that the fact that there is a face there, I believe it's a Japanese proverb. But you have three faces: you have the face that the world sees, the face that you think the world sees, and then who you truly are. And that tiny peaches really does have multiple faces. What a way to to wrap it all up completely and totally uh, unintentionally. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us, everybody. I don't know what this episode was, but I'll tell you what it was to us. It was fun. Hope you learned something. Go to onesready.com. Check out the shop. Get yourself a sweet hoodie. Those Sport Tech hoodies dropped. They're fire fire. I'm putting mine on here in a moment because it's cold as crap up here in the Pacific Northwest. Thanks for following. Check us out on YouTube. Don't forget we're on Rumble now as well. So the episodes get uploaded there as well. It's a free speech platform. Maybe that's the place where we can put out that terrible episode that we didn't watch. No, probably not. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Have a good one. Train hard. Later.